Sing it with me. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wayward Podcast, where we learn to live life on the way of God's Word. Well, this is our first new episode for 2024, so Happy New Year, everyone. I hope that your year has started off well for you all. It has started off all right for me. I'm looking forward forward to some things that are in the works for this podcast. I'm in the process of preparing new material, and I'm really excited to announce it to you um, as soon as I can. Uh, Still getting everything together, uh, putting things together. Uh, One announcement that I I am happy to make uh, right now is that we now have a YouTube channel. That came about really kind of recently and suddenly. I wasn't really planning on developing that this soon, but... There have been a number of issues that I have been trying to resolve, and it suddenly became apparent that a YouTube channel seemed to be the best solution at the moment. So if you like, you can jump onto YouTube and uh, subscribe to the Wayward Podcast. I'm really kind of eager to experiment on that particular platform. So, yeah, I'm excited. Uh Today's episode is actually going to be the first of three episodes, maybe four, we'll see, all of which I hope to publish uh, very close together, like, um, we'll see how that works out. Um, I think uh, this episode will just go out, um, well, you're listening to it today, I think the other episodes, I'm going to try and publish them uh, kind of close together early next week, so... uh, uh, all three episodes, or all three or four episodes, are going to be focused on Jesus's parable of the Good Samaritan, and that parable is found in Luke chapter ten, verses twenty-five through thirty-seven. And after doing a whole series on trusting God, kind of feels so long ago. It was just a few months ago, but after doing that series and then doing a whole Advent series over Christmas. I know that jumping to this passage, it may seem a little random, and while I am trying to create some cushioning space between now and the next series that I'm getting together, and just hoping that it'll give me a little bit more more prep time, this passage actually has been something I've wanted to tackle for a long time. And quick, just for a quick explanation... Back during the chaotic days of the pandemic, there were a couple of passages that began to weigh heavily on me, my mind and heart, and this is one of them. In one sense, this passage has acted as something of an interpretive lens for what I and 
a great many of us, I suspect, were experiencing in those days. Uh, in another sense, this passage, it acted as a navigational tool to remind me and guide me towards what Christ was calling the church amidst those chaotic and painful days. But uh, as much as I, as much as that passage weighed on me, I was never really able to sit down and do a study on it. I tried several times, and every time I just got swept up into its themes, and I began to dwell on some of the painful realities the passage reveals about life and the way people can choose to treat others. And it just kind of got so heavy that I couldn't force myself to complete a whole study. And um, really the only thing I could do with this passage was uh, create paintings and record thoughts about the parable. But now these days, I think my mind and my spirit is in a place where I am ready to immerse myself into the text and really try to chew on it and discuss it. So, the first episode, which is today's episode, is going to just observe and focus on the initial details of the text. And the second and possibly third episode, which I kind of, again, I hope to publish like next week, early next week, uh, those episodes will begin to interpret the details that we uh, discussed today. And finally, a third or possibly fourth episode will be where we try to learn from those details and see how we might live in light of those details. So that'll be the application episode. So there's just a lot of material to this parable and there are so it's almost like a matrix of ideas and thoughts and um i just want to take the time to really appreciate all of that as much as we can so uh i invite you to go on this journey with me so um so as we begin to uh get into this parable i like i said it's in uh, it begins in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. But uh, the, the context leading up to the parable is important also. So we'll just kind of take a moment, a few moments to kind of um, understand uh, the lead up to the parable. So Jesus has begun making his way towards Jerusalem. And during his travels, there are several conversations, and little events that are happening along the way. And one of those events was Jesus sending out 72 followers throughout the nearby regions to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healings. And when they return, they are abounding in joy over everything that has happened. And Jesus' response to their joy is to experience joy with them. In his joy, Jesus comments figuratively that it was like watching Satan fall like lightning. God's kingdom is shaking the darkness loose and is ushering in healing and life 
into people's lives, and his own disciples get to be a part of it. They are getting to serve in the midst of God's unfolding kingdom, and even the darkness surrenders to them. And just to keep their eyes on the ball, Jesus reminds them that the real reason to rejoice is not that they've leveled up against the enemy, but that their names are known to God, that they are known to God, that God knows them, that God sees them, and that God is welcoming them and their participation into his kingdom life. And at this, even Jesus pauses to rejoice in the Spirit and thank God for all that he is doing right now, how God's salvation is unfolding into the world and is being revealed to and richly experienced by not the pompous elites and the intelligent and the wise and learned, but by the lowly who truly need God's goodness. But suddenly, during this conversation, Jesus is interrupted by a man with a question. So now we will begin to look directly at the parable. And we start in verse 25. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And we'll just kind of go through this observation verse by verse. Uh, Verse 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this man is described as an expert in the law. And that means he was trained in the Torah, or the law of Moses. And he was competent to study it, to clarify it for others, to deliver lectures or insights on it as needed. And it's also possible that he was a priest. But when he was off duty, he served as a Torah expert. And as a law expert, posing such a question to an emerging Jewish teacher like Jesus would have been expected. Monitoring an emerging teacher's curriculum was deemed a necessary part in keeping the Torah free from any corruption in the regions where he held influence. And in these days, that was a priority. And that was just one of the reasons why different priests and experts were frequently questioning Jesus. But though we do see others in his circle test Jesus to trap him, there doesn't seem to be any maliciousness in this law expert's test question to Jesus. So in one sense, the law expert's question could have been a straightforward academic exercise or a check on Jesus' teachings. But in another sense, the question may have also been incited by the expert's observations of all the excitement surrounding Jesus' ministry. The 72 followers returning from the recent regional mission trips that included gospel proclamations and the performing of healings could have generated such a great deal of 
kingdom contemplation that the law expert felt compelled to frame or ask this question as an inroad to get in on the excitement. So perhaps his question was a pretext to participation. But whatever the case, Jesus' response seems more interested in what's going on behind the man's question. In verse 26, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? When Jesus taught, his goal was not to blithely dispense information. If that was his goal, he would have just answered the question, you know? Jesus' goal was to create an insightful sense of clarity that generated wonder and invited participation. Discipleship is not merely about passing off knowledge, but empowering the student through that knowledge. In this case, Jesus knows the law expert probably already possesses the knowledge to answer his own question. So Jesus instead goes right for the empowerment, as if hinting to the man that you probably already know the answer, so why don't you share with us? It's okay, don't be afraid. By trusting the law expert and inviting him to answer, Jesus is empowering him to be an active participant in whatever his own discipleship journey might become. And this is crucial for all discipleship journeys. It's not about being a robot that follows protocol. It's about receiving a clarity and experiencing a wonder that compels us to choose a person. In verse 27, the law expert answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The law, the law expert's answer reaches for the riches of the Torah. His response is a combination of Deuteronomy 6, 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Both of these passages are located at the center of the Jewish worldview. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, is a part of the Shema, which is like the Torah's Pledge of Allegiance, elevating the Lord as the sovereign object of Israel's life and worship. Leviticus 19.18 is a part of a series of communal ethics for holy living, practicing justice, loving your neighbor, loving the foreign alien. The verse rejects vengeance or grudges and instead commands a love for a neighbor that is likened to the love we show ourselves. These verses combined provide the wisdom that was to permeate the Israelites 
entire individual and communal approach to life. And it's what we might summarily refer to as love God, love people. And because Jesus' own gospel message is rooted in this truth and intends to richly fulfill it, Jesus affirms the law expert's answer. In verse 28, Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. Here, we need to look back to the expert's question in verse 25, where he had asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life, because it relates to Jesus' answer and use, use of the phrase, you will live. When we use the phrase eternal life in the church, we almost always use it to refer to afterlife or going to heaven after death. Yes, there are Bible passages that have these meanings in connection with this phrase. But the phrase can also have additional meanings and connotations. It can refer to the quality of life being lived out right now in the present. Specifically, the life that is truly alive. Life that is rooted in the blessedness of God and thrives in the enjoyment and worship of God. And there are many passages in the New Testament where life or eternal life is used in this sense to demonstrate how it is in Christ that we finally receive, experience, and enjoy the life that is truly life, abundant life, unburdened life, unhurried and unworried life. Life that isn't just survival and coping, but life that is joy, life that is goodness, life that is at peace, life that is thriving in the reality of God's salvation. So when the expert asks about what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, while there may be be some heavenly connotation there, I think what he's really asking is, what does he have to do to get in on the blessed life right now? The life that is truly alive in the abundance of God's goodness. And I think this also makes sense because Jesus affirms the answer he gives. When he quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus to say, love God and love people, Jesus says, that's right. Do this and you will live. Love God and love people and your present life will take on the qualities of God's blessedness and become truly alive. Sounds easy, right? Well, perhaps not. Because even though the expert gave the right answer, there's still something about that answer that he's uneasy about. In verse 29, the law expert continued, But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
In one sense, the question he asks, who is my neighbor, could be a reasonable question seeking clarity. But that's not why he asks it. He asks the question out of a sudden desire to declare or show himself as guiltless. But why does he feel the need to do this? Jesus has already told him he answered the question correctly. That's a win. It doesn't happen in a lot of conversations with Jesus. So what happened in these few moments to make the law expert go from being the curious guy who wants to participate in God's kingdom life to the hesitant guy who needs to feel or appear guiltless? And what does what happened have to do with his question about a neighbor? These are mysteries that we'll return to eventually. What's interesting for now is Jesus' response. When the expert asked him the first question, Jesus trusted the guy already knew the answer. So instead of answering it, Jesus let him answer. But when the expert asks this second question, this is the question Jesus wants to answer. Because this is the question that could get to what's really going on in the man's heart. And since the law's written statutes can have a way of becoming tedious, especially when you're trying to clarify what's most important, Jesus decides to answer his question using a different mode of communication. Jesus tells a story. There's always something about a story that helps clarify or put things in perspective. So, let's read that story. It is in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. So let's begin with the story's setting. 
The story is set on a road going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And even though this is just a story, its details are rooted in the world of Jesus' audience, and the law expert in particular. This was a real road. His listeners knew it. The law expert who may have served in Jerusalem in certain seasons would certainly have known this road. And everyone knew that on this road, there was a certain probability that someone traveling alone might encounter bandits, which is one of one of the reasons that people often traveled this road in groups when they could. So this story now has a series of characters. The first character we meet is a man going down this road. And one thing we need to observe about this man is that there is really nothing to observe about this man. Unlike the other characters in this story, Jesus says nothing about this man's identity, his ethnic background, or his job. The only thing we know about this man is that he is traveling down this road by himself, which made him an easy target. Which brings us to another group of characters, the robbers. Their role is pretty straightforward. The bandits jump him, they strip him, beat him, and they take off, leaving him lying on the road, half dead. There's nothing particularly nuanced about this incident. Though, as James Champion notes, it infuses the story it infuses into the story the question of, if this unknown man is treated so by robbers, how will he be treated by others? That brings us now to the three characters whom Jesus' story revolves around. With the introduction of these characters, the text begins to use a three-part repeating sequence. And that repeating sequence is, one, a character comes along, two, the character sees the injured man, and three, the character responds. That's the sequence. And the first of the th- these three characters is a priest who was also going down this road. Going down that road means the priest was coming from Jerusalem, possibly finishing his term of service. The priest comes along, The priest sees the injured man, and then the priest passes by on the other side. And after this, the second of the three characters appears. It's a Levite. The Levites would serve in the temple and were responsible for its functions. And being from the tribe of Levi means that you are from the tribe that shows everyone how holy service is done. And in Jesus' story, the Levite also comes along. He sees the injured man, and then he also passes by on the other side. But now a third man appears. This man is a Samaritan. Samaritans were a group of people who emerged during the days of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the relationship between Jews and Samaritans was often a hostile one. In this sequence, 
the Samaritan came along. He saw the injured man. But instead of passing him by on the other side, like the previous two characters did, this man was moved by compassion. He went to him. He treated his wounds with oil and wine and then bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own animal, took him to an end, took him to an end, and took care of him. The next day he gave the innkeeper money to take care of him and promised he would pay the innkeeper for whatever extra expenses the man occurred. So that's the story. Jesus gave this parable because the law expert asked a question that revealed he was struggling with something in his heart. Something that probably could not be navigated with another set of rules. Something that perhaps could only be dealt with through the clarity of story. And having presented and concluded his story, Jesus now directly addresses the law expert. In verse 36, Jesus asks him, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The question really seems like a test of which of these guys is not like the other. In verse 37, the law expert said, The one who showed him mercy. I'm glad the law expert was honest. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So this whole conversation today has been just about observing the details of this text. Observing what's going on. And having reached the end of the text, we will leave our conversation there for today. But now as we finish our initial observations, we are left with a number of questions. Why did the law expert insert himself into Jesus' kingdom conversation with his disciples? Why did the law expert suddenly need to vindicate himself, especially after Jesus affirmed his correct answer to his first question? What is going on with the characters in this story Jesus shared? How does this story address what's going on with the law expert? And finally, what is Jesus' answer to the law expert's question, Who is my neighbor? These are questions we will begin to address in our next episode, where we will begin to interpret the things that we have tried to observe here today. And like I said, uh, that those episodes, I hope those episodes will be posted early next week. I want to kind of keep the series uh, close together since it's focusing on one text. So I look forward to continuing this conversation with you later. I hope you have a great day. I thank you for joining me here today at the Wayward Podcast. I hope that this material helps you to learn to live life on the way of God's Word. This is my story. This-
this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior.